0: When you go in through the line at lunch, and uh, you're getting your corn and your potatoes and all of that, and you got down to the very end, and there was this kind of slab laying into some gravy, and y'all ever call that mystery meat? This is the mystery class. You never know what you're (laughs) going to have. Study your Old Testament, your New Testament, just be a good Bible student, because uh, our plans were, until late last night, to be studying Revelation 19, so... Gold star for you if you read that. Um, Hiram and Brittany ran into some additional travel issues, and uh, they're going to be here, uh, Lord willing, um, around noon today. Uh, So we're going to be studying the Psalms. Um, And I appreciate Roger uh, filling in uh, and teaching uh, and doing a great job last week. Um, The approach to Psalms that we're taking, for those of you who are are in and out, maybe been more out than in, uh, is we're not really going psalm by psalm. Uh, We have tried to fill in some of the gaps of what the inspired book does with its its different types. Uh, uh, What we can glean, what we can gain from that as we go through. Uh, We're going to be looking at still. uh, We're going to finish what they call in the Hebrew Bible Book One, uh, which ends at chapter 42. We're going to go into the second book, Uh, and that's just the way you know we have volumes one, two, three, four in books. This that's what the Book of Psalms. Uh, is. So uh, Roger did cover Psalm 32 last week, but I want to go back to Psalm chapter 30 uh, and just look at a few things there. We're going to observe uh, several, hopefully, the the, the theme I want you to think about as we go through the Psalms this morning is uh, you'll find the psalmist frequently engaged in uh, checking his own personal motivations, dealing with sin problems, uh, wrestling with those. When we think about uh, problems with personal sin, we usually think of Psalm 31. But there's another psalm we're going to look at today that uh, is equally powerful, if, if less known. Uh, a lot of what will happen in the psalms is, God, help me with my motivation when I worship. You ever have problems with your motivation coming into worship? Keeping your focus? Um, maybe the problems or the difficulties or the... Uh, sins or the mistreatment that you're receiving from others makes it hard for you to see the goodness of God and to be able to to uh, appropriately revere him what's um, remarkable about the Psalms is that it is so eminently practical it is practical like the book of Proverbs that gives us guidance for daily living the book of Psalms is my personal devotional and prayer and song book And so it's going to hit me right where I live, and I think you're going to find that, especially as we go to Psalm chapter 30 uh, this morning. So what I'd like you to do is turn over to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30, and I sure would appreciate if some nice loud reader could read Psalm chapter 30. It's a relatively short psalm. Psalm 30. Okay. So here's a trend you're going to find in the Psalms frequently, and that is that the psalmist, as he is going through some trial, maybe some persecution, whatever it is, and David's going to be persecuted frequently, he's going to start in the mode of complaint, the psalmist is. He's going to pour out his heart and he's going to say, why, God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to to do this, this to come into my life? I'm faithful, I'm a servant of yours. And there's going to be a transformation as you stay with them in the psalm. Uh, If you think back a couple of weeks ago in Psalm chapter 22, and I think, (laughs) it seems like a couple of weeks ago, it may have been the middle of the summer, I don't know, but uh, in Psalm 22 you have a, a psalm that appeals frequently to messianic themes. And Jesus is going to quote that, the gospel writers are going to Pull from Psalm 22 and say that this was fulfilled in Jesus. And if you remember that, do you remember what happens? It's a 31 verse Psalm. Do you remember what he does in the first 22 verses? How does it begin? Psalm 22. My God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I pour out my complaint before you. And so when you meet the psalmist at the beginning of the psalm, David, as he's going through his difficulties, but more importantly as the Holy Spirit is pointing us to what Jesus is going to go through, you have the writer just pouring out his heart with all the the bitter complaint. And then as he has perspective, and that's what makes it so remarkable to think that Jesus is reflecting on this through six hours of intense suffering, that in the midst of it all, he's looking to the end of the psalm, there's a change from complaint to praise, from worries to worship. But What you're going to find happens in Psalm chapter 30 is that there's a bouncing back and forth, not really a vacillation, but a, a change of theme. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to think about some circumstance that you've been through in a recent part of your life in which it was too big for you. Think back to some trial that you went through, or maybe there's something in your life of such a magnitude that even though it's been years later or decades later, you're still dealing with it, or you can still remember it. And you even remember your response to that. I remember something I went through when I was a teenager, and I have a good relationship with both of my parents, and normally, uh, it was more of a dad to son kind of a conversation that we had, but I don't, for whatever reason, I don't know if dad was out of town, but I went through a pretty deep valley in my life. And I remember my mom uh, reading to me the psalms and us singing together. And it made a big difference. Uh, to, to turn to God in the midst of the sorrow. And now all of us have been through this when we've had difficulties with our children. Maybe you've been through a health crisis with your child. Or maybe they have put you through something spiritually. You've been in the valley. Do you remember how you felt, what you went through? You feel like the psalmist who says, I cry out from the depths? And you, you really just know that this is bigger than you are? The, the psalmist, it seems, in Psalm chapter 30 is going through that. And we vacillate between asking, God, why is this happening to me? To God, you're worthy of praise. And it brings up, I think, an interesting point, and that is... When we consider what we're going to do in about 45, 50 minutes, we're going to enter into worship to God, all of us are going to be motivated to worship Him. Something's going to move us. All right. So in a common sense, what are some of the motives that do or should drive us to come to worship God? Okay? That should be top of mind, top of heart, our love for Him. You know, 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He first loved us. What does that mean in a practical sense? It has a meaning to the worship that we bring. An adoration that causes us to empty a heart that's been filled with our appreciation for His love and our reciprocation. What else? What else motivates us in worship? Gratitude. So we even sing sometimes counter-blessings, name them one by one. Uh, And and that's certainly going to help us to have a worshipful frame of mind. Yes, sir? Okay. Just a a desire. It's still a response, right? A a desire to want to please him for what he's done. You know, I find it interesting that that we may or may not have the right motivation. People who assemble together and gather together. Jesus in Matthew 15, 9, Isaiah, and Isaiah 7 and verse 6 say that these people come near to me. With their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but what? Do you remember? Their hearts are far from me. Okay, and so a psalm like Psalm 30 is helpful for us to examine our motivation. And the psalmist here gives us four motives for why we should worship God as we walk through the psalm. Look at verses 1 through 3. If you were to try to give a word for what the motivation is there in verses 1 through 3, what would it be? I will extort, extol you, Lord. You have lifted me up. Okay. And what? And, and he's he's done the delivering. What do I do? I cried for help, and you healed me, Lord. You brought my soul up from the grave. You've kept me alive. I would not go down to the pit. All right. So that's before the worship service begins. That's what God has done. What do you see? Gratitude. All right. So as I look in verses one through three. He, I'm expecting, uh, expressing, I'm sorry, we got in at one this morning. I don't even know what time zone I'm on. So please forgive me if things come out sideways and upside down. Um, For victory, for help, for healing, for deliverance, for preservation. Now you'll look at the end of the psalm and he ends it by saying, I will give thanks to you forever. It might be a good exercise for us. Before we leave home, maybe the first thing, when our feet hit the floor, maybe if you're prone to do the praying in bed, is to meditate for five or ten minutes and think about all that God has done, the blessings that he's brought into your life, and let that serve as a foundation or a springboard for the worship that you're going to bring him later in the day. I think if we don't spend time centering our hearts on his great blessings... It's really going to cause us to miss out on having a full heart to bring to him. And so the first motivation that the psalmist seems to mention here is a gratitude, we feel, for what God has done. If I look at my life as it really is, are there bad things that have happened? Yes. But there are so many more blessings. All right, number two, in verse four. Really, you would say, if you're building a list, this would be number one. But it's certainly an important motivation. What's the motivation in verse four? All right, praise. That's, that's actual the worship itself, right? Is, uh, is praise. It's extolling, it's exalting Him. Sing praise to the Lord, you His godly ones, and give thanks to His holy name. In the Bible, whenever it speaks of God's name, what, is the, what are the writers talking about? The, the name of God itself? What does the name represent? Okay, certainly holiness. It's everything that's involved in the name. If I were to say a name, uh, and I just could randomly pull a name, and for some reason, I, I was, well, was going to say Bill Clinton, and I don't know why. That's, <laughs> I don't even know what decade I'm in. You, uh, if I were to say that, there would be certain things that you don't just think of a name. You think of perhaps facts about them. You might think politically. You might think of all kinds of different ways. And I didn't mean to think of a political figure. That's just what came to my mind. But it's not just the name. It's what's represented by the name. Okay? So when we say his name, we're talking about the power. We're talking about the character. We're talking about everything that's involved in that name. So I would suggest to you that the second motivation that the psalmist gives us beyond gratitude is certainly connected to that. And it's expressed in praise. And that that motivation is God. Now think about Isaiah and his commission in Isaiah chapter six, and he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, and he literally did, the Lord. It, it, and he's sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train, that is his procession, filled the temple. This is Solomon's temple. It's not as grand as Herod's. But you think about a, a place in which God is worshipped and he sees God filling the entire place. In fact, he says in verse 4 that the whole house was filled with smoke and the post of the house shook at the voice of him who cried. And as he came face to face with the grandeur and the bigness of God, what does he do? He falls down before him. And We sing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. You know, falling down before him. Who is and was and evermore shall be. Scripture helps us to get a full picture of God. Nature reinforces the message of the powerful God that we serve. And all of that being the case, and by the way, um, I was going to ask you this. Did any of you happen to watch the Kyle Butt debate with uh, Mr. Shermer from... uh, Santa Barbara, California, uh, Kyle Butt has debated several uh, atheists. And it is remarkable. By the way, it's on, I think, GBN has a YouTube channel. And you can go and watch that. And I watched the opening argument that Kyle Butt made. And there have been so many different attempts that are made to discredit or to disprove the existence of God. But when somebody sets about to try to prove God's existence, we don't really have to get fancy or creative. You know, he comes with the argument that there is a an effect, and an effect as grand as what we have, there has to be an adequate cause, and that cause has got to be greater than the effect. Or he says, when you look at the world, whether it's on the intricate level or if it's on the universal level, there is apparent design, and there being a design, there has to be a designer. All right, and these are those nebulous from nature arguments. Uh, And uh, he, he then said, there is a moral oughtness in us. No matter where you live, when you live, there are imperatives that live within people that say, I should do this and I shouldn't do this. And so when we begin to look at the cause behind all of this, and we see not only that he is, but then we go to the word and we see how he is, then my response to that is, is I want to praise him, I want to worship him. And, you know, all of this can be very practical for us in the next hour. As we think about the gratitude we should feel for all that he is and all that he's done, and we think about who he is, we've already got two motivations, and there's more in the psalm. The heart of the psalm, there is another motivation, and that's grace. In verse 5 through 10, we've just read that together. But two times in this psalm, he lifts up God for his favor, and he recognizes and he acknowledges that. As the psalmist calls out to him, he anticipates that God is going to be faithful. Look at verse 9. God is going to be gracious. Look at verse 10. And so he pleads, O Lord, be my helper. All right, and so God wants us to reflect on that as a motivation so much that every single Lord's Day, Sunday after Sunday, he provides a, a point for us to assemble, As and I'm using terminology we often use, to assemble around his table. The Lord, why does the Lord want us Sunday after Sunday? We have that approved example in Acts 20 and verse 7. You have Jesus saying, I'm going to drink this new with you in the kingdom of God. Paul says, as often as you do this in 1 Corinthians 11, and Luke, by inspiration, tells us how often they did that. It's clear God wants us as his people every Lord's day to come together and to remember his suffering, remember his death, and I would add to remember the, the hope that we have because he lives and the gratitude that we feel. He gives us that reminder as a reminder of grace. I don't know what you think about during the Lord's Supper. And, and maybe our minds go in a lot of different directions. I think I've shared with you before, I go through the alphabet in my mind. But I try not to, and by that I mean in, with A, he was alone. He was anxious. He was um, uh, you know, alienated from God. He was abandoned by his disciples. He was abused. And... And that's going to lead me to some areas where I think about the pain and the suffering of Christ. But he was able. And when I think about the fact that he was an adequate sacrifice, that he could do what I could not do for myself, you see, God's given me through the Lord's Supper each week a reminder of his grace. And I'm going to respond to that with a worshipful heart. When you know how much somebody's done for them, yes, you feel gratitude. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you depended on someone, you needed someone for something. I don't—I talk so much, I don't know what I've said before, so forgive me if I've said it before. But when when Dale was born, our second son, we had—we were participating in something at at the time. Didn't have formalized health insurance. It was called caring and sharing. And uh, long story short, it went belly up just about the time he was born. It was a complicated birth, and so we came out of that with. after all the, the bargaining had been done with, with a bill that for uh, 25 and a 23-year-old was just, it might as well have been $10 million. Got the hospital on the line saying, you know, we're going to take action and there's all these, you know, it's scary. You, you've not been through this before. What are you going to do? We had two elders. I went into the elders meeting and I just said, I just need guidance. And one of those elders pulled me aside and said, I'll take care of it. Now, we worked out something. I paid every penny of that back, but I couldn't have paid it up front. Now, how do I feel toward that individual who pulled me out of something I could not have pulled myself out of? I needed more than I could produce. You know what I didn't do uh, is I didn't find myself never thinking about him and that act. And it really... Not that it sh- I needed this, but it, it, it guarded or guided how I talked about and thought about that individual. Because that's just, and maybe you've received some kind of um, blessing or help like that before. But nothing compares to the cross. Because no matter how good you are, there is no way that you could take care of that problem. And you know what you'll never be able to do? Pay him back. And so what's the outflow of that? Now now the psalmist is writing on the other side of the cross. Jesus has not come yet. He's been promised. He's being promised even as this book is being written. But even before that time, think of how God gives us what we cannot return. You get upside down in a relationship. Maybe somebody is giving a whole lot more to you in that relationship than you've been able to give to them. You know, that's a frustrating thing, but all of us are not one down. We're a million down in that relationship with God. And out of that, we don't beat ourselves up. He says that's the way it is, but what I want you to do is respond to that grace by worshiping me. And I think the psalmist brings that to bear. And then the natural part of this, and and let's not neglect this. The motivation that moves the psalmist here is gladness. In verse 11 and 12. Why gladness? Because he's turned mourning to dancing. He's turned sadness to gladness. Verse 11. David says he will sing praise and he will forever give thanks to God. Verse 12. So what will drive you to assemble in the next hour before the great I am? What will move you to privately praise God each day? You know there's a song we sing is there's 10,000 reasons. Surely. There's 10,000 reasons, but you can focus on these four in the next hour, Psalm chapter 30. All right, somehow this turned into a sermon. I didn't mean for it to. I'm sorry. Any comments on Psalm chapter 30 that come to the top of your mind? All right. I am not going to cover Psalm 32. I had a few things I was going to say about that, but Roger did a great job with that. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 34. All right there's a couple things I want to do with this um, somebody tell me what you have written over Psalm chapter 34 there should be an inscription that's written over it okay that's Psalm 34 okay who else has something different that's good alright let me come back to that well, did you have something different from the Abimelech part Okay, so there's there's there should be two probably that one and the one that Roger uh, mentioned is or if you have some sort of study Bible and even have to be a big study Bible they'll they'll put little headers over there they'll kind of condense the content of the chapter mine, mine says the Lord a provider and a deliverer so something like that yes sir I was just say. say it again you just say okay uh, the Lord a helper and a deliverer all right so that that kind of sets the tone for what's in the Psalm how many of you had something like what Mike had. Something about David feigning madness before Abimelech? Somebody want to turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, verse 10 through 15? It's a very interesting incident. Let me, as, we, as you turn over there to 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 through 15, I want to give you the background to what's the occasion behind this. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think where we start. First of all, God rejects Saul as being king. We're very familiar with that. 1 Samuel chapter 15, because of his disobedience with the Amalekites, God says, I'm going to find a man after my own heart. And then there's the process of Samuel going, and he's trying to find the new king, and he goes through all of Jesse's sons. And then there's the shepherd boy who comes in, and he says, this is him. Um, and he says, don't, don't see as man sees. The Lord looks on the heart. So you've got God's next king. It's going to be a completely new dynasty. This is a Benjamite, Saul is. But David's uh, from the tribe of Judah. And all of his descendants are going to sit on his throne, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Well, you remember that after this happens, and this must be a, a, certainly a very private thing. Samuel knows about it. Jesse's family to some degree knows about it. God knows about it. But Israel doesn't know about it. What happens next after he's anointed king? Anybody know what, happened, what happens in 1 Samuel 17? You've had it in Bible story, in Bible school as you are a kid. It's one of the big ones. David and, David and Goliath. And as a result of that victory that's gained, how does Saul feel about him then? Then, right then. What's his response to, to David killing Goliath at that point? He's going to get there. He's going to get jealous. Is he jealous at first? He's relieved. He's relieved. Yeah, David does what Saul's too afraid to do. And everybody else in the army of Israel is afraid to do. And so he's really appreciative of him. And there's this on and off again relationship that's going to take place. And Saul is going to uh, actually pick him out of Israel because he's an adept musician. And he's going to soothe him. Because you remember the Bible tells us, Samuel tells us, that there's this this jealous spirit that's going to come upon Saul. It's going to come. It's going to go back and forth. It's one of those statements where it says, The Lord sent that upon him. Read that. The Lord allows the conditions to exist. Saul's got all these spiritual problems that we could just walk through in 1 Samuel. And uh, God's not going to certainly insulate him from his own insecurity and his own jealousy. And when it's, it's great, things are going great. But do you remember what it was that turned the tide? What caused Saul to really wrestle with jealousy? It's the women singing. What are they singing? Just take the first part. Saul killed his thousands. Impressive. Wow, he's a big guy. He's killed his thousands. Now, Saul, he could take some rejoicing in that. Not everybody in Israel, nobody perhaps outside of one, could say that. But what bothers him is the next part of it. What's David done? Killed his ten thousands. All right, so what happens from this point off and on to the end of the book where... Saul and Jonathan and his other sons are going to be killed in battle against the Philistines, is that he's going to be in pursuit of David regularly. And if you remember from, if you studied 1 Samuel here recently, you saw how David was a much more honorable man than Saul was. Saul would even say that because David had the opportunity to take his life, but he didn't uh, take that opportunity. And he spared him to show his allegiance and his loyalty to him. 1 Samuel 21 is in the middle of all of that. David is on the run. And he takes refuge, ironically enough, among the Philistines. All right. so in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 through 15, it says, Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Who who else was from Gath? Goliath. Goliath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one? And by the way, they know about this. He's not going to be coronated till Second Samuel. But they're saying this. Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish the king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? I wish I knew more about that. I mean, he was a brilliant military strategist. But I, that, this is one I don't know that you will see in any of the great war books of the ages. Um, but that's the background. We don't have time here um, Is it really almost 6 o'clock? Am I hallucinating? Do y'all also have about 3 till 10? Y'all shouldn't mess with me like that. That's not fun. All right. But I want you to keep this in the back of your mind that Psalm 34 is being written at this particular moment. It's beautiful. It bears no resemblance to what he's showing Achish, the, the king of Gath. It's a beautiful psalm. It's one of my favorites uh, all the way around. So that's the background of that. There's another thing I want you to keep in mind, and you'll notice this. You might want to make a note somewhere. It's certainly not original with me. A lot of the psalms are going to be divisible by 22 in some way. Can anybody tell me what the significance of the number 22 is? The The alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. So whenever you see... An 11-verse psalm. Certainly when you see a 22-verse psalm. Or, you might make note of this, Psalm 119. Anybody in your Bible facts know how many verses are in Psalm 119? 176. 176. Alright, so you can take your calculator and divide 8 into that, and you'll get the number 22. There's 22 complete stanzas. Now, what this is is, this is an acrostic poem. Now, the the, the acrostic would typically work the same way. You would begin with the first Hebrew letter, and you would go to the last Hebrew letter. And in those 11-verse psalms, they typically have two parts to them. So the first part would be with the first Hebrew letter, the second with the second, and then so on all the way through the psalm. In a 22-verse psalm, you would have each verse, if you could read Hebrew, you could see the Hebrew alphabet going down the page. This was a device to help them to memorize but also to show completeness. So whatever the subject is, it's complete. If it's God's goodness, it's complete, it's thorough, it's exhaustive, it's comprehensive. Now, we use acronyms, right? And when I say acronyms, acrostics, I should say, not just, I'm not talking about like NCAA or NAACP or NASA or any of those kinds of things, but don't we use acrostics even spiritually? Have you heard an acrostic for Bible? Basic information or instruction before leaving earth. It's an acrostic. Is that a pretty good description of the Bible? Sure. How about grace? You know that one. God's riches at Christ's expense. All right. So you have these different acrostics that can kind of help us to appreciate whatever the subject is at hand. And so that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's giving us that that we can uh, attach to. Um, As for the psalm itself, let me just kind of give you a brief outline of that. Uh, If we had time, we could read this. Uh, His tone is worshipful. First thing you'll find in verse 1 and 2 is he is full of resolution. Now, just notice this part with me. How do you see that resolution in verses 1 and 2? What's a resolution? Do y'all do that on New Year's Day? Formally? Do you write it down? huh yeah and it's a pledge that says i commit myself to something now y'all be thinking about that because we just this tuesday is the first holiday that kicks off all the eating that winds up 10 pounds heavier at the end of that and then you are going to sit down and you're going to make some resolutions but you can see it in the i will statements look at him in verse one i will bless the lord at all times question do you bless the lord at all times careful we're in church not always, do we. But is it a good resolution to have? I will bless. Maybe you've heard the saying, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. What somebody's saying is, even when difficulties come, I'm going to bless the Lord. And you'll see that as it goes through there. So he's full of resolution. You'll also find that he's full of exhortation. Look at verse 3, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 11. And if you are circling or making notes, uh, note the three O statements. Uh, where he says, oh, uh, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 8, oh, fear the Lord. Um, So he's full of exhorting. He's saying, here's the worshiper, David, as he writes this psalm, encouraging everybody else to really appreciate the object of their worship. So not only is he personally saying, I'm going to do this, he's saying, will you not do it with me? And then you have that he's full of appreciation. Verse 4 through 7 and verse 10. He acknowledged that God hears and God answers his petitions. And then he is is full of admonition. Verse 11 through 16. You'll notice the imperative statements as you go through the, the last part of the psalm. He says, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He reminds them that the eyes of the Lord and the face of the Lord are fully aware of what's going on in our lives. A function of worship is for us to do what? Hebrews 10, 24. Stimulate one another unto love and good works. It is an aspect of worship. Don't we do that? Think about this. If the name of the Savior is precious to you, if His care has been constant and tender and true, if the light of His presence has brightened your way, oh, will you not tell of, His, of your gladness today? Oh, will you not tell it today? Have you thought about the fact that that's what you're doing when you sing that song? You are saying to your brothers and sisters in the assembly, has God blessed you? Has God saved you? Will you not go out of this building and share that with other people? My mom used to do this. I don't know if your uh, parents uh, had ever instructed you through song. We had, I had an older uh, sister and a younger brother. You know, back seats are fun, aren't they? And uh, now she had a mean flip-flop too, but sometimes what she would do <laughs> is she would just start singing, angry words will so let them never, from the tongue unbridled slip. She was, what was she doing? That was really a warning. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> here's a chance for you to get right on your own. But it was an admonition. And don't we do that? What are we doing when we sing that song? Are we saying it to ourselves? Sure. We're not directing that at God because God's not going to sin in his anger. But we're saying, love one another. Thus says the Savior. Children obey the blessed command. And so there's a place for admonition. We admonish one another in in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that happens here. And he is full of perception. He sees and he takes notice that God is at work in verse 17 through 22. So I'm reminded here again about worship. That worship is that which involves what we should desire to do in the future. So think about the Lord's Supper again for just a moment. As you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're looking back. But do you also look around and think about, I mean, the the body of Christ certainly was literally offered on the cross. But the body of Christ is also his church. Do you think about your relationship currently? You know, here's what can happen. Maybe you're not right with a brother or sister in Christ. Jesus gives us how you take care of that. Uh, and, and we should not try to pretend like everything's okay with us and God when we have a problem with a brother or sister. And so as I'm partaking the Lord's Supper, I'm examining myself. I'm examining the body. I'm also looking at my place in that. But I'm also looking at my future. When you take the Lord's Supper, do you think about how's, how's the sacrifice of Jesus going to help me to live better this week? See, the Lord knew what he was doing with that reminder in worship. It's about interacting with other worshipers as we sing to one another, as we're led in various acts of worship. It's about thanksgiving. It's about admonishing one another, moving, challenging, stimulating one another to good deeds. It's about acknowledging the great I am as we come to worship. David captures all of that in this beautiful psalm. Now the other feature that I want you to notice is that Psalm 34 uh, is a very prominent psalm in the New Testament. Peter quotes Psalm 34, verse 10 through 12 through 14, almost verbatim, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. By the way, those of us that were uh, on the, the cruise last Sunday, we worshiped in, uh, well it sounds strange to even say this, Bodrum, Turkey. That's where we worshiped last week. And Hiram preached uh, from 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, and that was the uh, motto for the Christian life. And he broke down this passage. And that passage in 1 Peter 3, verse 10 through 12, a great guidance for how we should live our life is basically David's words in Psalm 34, 12 through 14. Uh, also, it seems that verse 8 is alluded to by Peter. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 3. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll also see that in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 5. And then in verse 20, it seems that John is quoting this passage in John 19 and verse 36, and he applies it to Christ in the crucifixion. Um, maybe sometimes in the Lord's Supper, you have heard somebody pray, or to, as they preside, to say something like, uh, "Jesus, who uh, in His broken body." Have you ever heard something said like that? And depending on your background and what you've heard, that maybe that that sticks in, in your craw a little bit. Why why would that kind of why would you have a mental hiccup on that? Okay. Now let's be gracious to one another. It may be that that's a new Christian or or somebody who just misspoke uh, in the moment. Uh, Now let me ask you this. Was Jesus' body broken? And this is kind of the exercise I go through in my mind. Broken by suffering. The skin was broken. But it's important for us to understand that not a bone of him was broken. So if you ever make that mental transfer in your mind when a statement like that is is made or if you're presiding... to to think very in this terms that maybe this will help you. It was important that not a bone of him was broken. Why? Say it again. Okay, so first of all, you have this prophecy here in Psalm 34. Is there another reason? Why was it important that a, a bone of him not be broken? By the way, you remember, they go to the criminals, and to hasten their death, they do break their legs. Okay, alright, so how do you know that not having a bone broken makes for a perfect sacrifice? Alright, the short answer, Exodus chapter 12. To have an unblemished, acceptable sacrifice, its bone could not be broken. Alright, so Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. He is perfectly unspotted and unblemished. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And I think that maybe periodically it's good for us to remind ourselves of that. And so, a brother, whoever you are in six weeks that accidentally says in your prayers the thank you for the broken body of your son. We all understand that but but it might be helpful for us to just think through that uh, and to realize that's the importance of this is that a bone was not broken. All right, thoughts, comments on Psalm 34. All right, I don't know that I'm gonna have time to end this one, but I want us to look at Psalm 38. So we've talked about grace today. Will you be gracious to me and let me have this? And I'll give you five minutes and you'll give me five minutes. I won't start Psalm 38. We will pick up next week. And I appreciate very much your attention this morning.